Hi everyone, it's Frankie here. Before we get into the episode, I have a very exciting announcement to make. I'm participating in three events at the Farnham Literary Festival in March. If you don't know where Farnham is, that's okay, a lot of people don't. But it's a really beautiful village in Surrey that is also very cultured with its own literary festival. The first panel I'm involved with is on the 2nd of March and I'll be reuniting with my favourite spy writing pals to moderate Writing Spies in the Shadow of Bond. This is the panel that we did at the Harrogate Crime Writing Festival last year and it was so much fun we decided to get the band back together and do it again. So that will involve the brilliant Greg Moss, Jack Dewars, Ava Glass and Tim Glister. Then on the 10th of March... I'll be moderating a scarily good panel on why we can't get enough of gothic fiction with the incredible Anna Mazzola, William Hussey, Louise Davidson, Essie Fox and Michelle Paver. These are huge names in the gothic writing world and I'm so excited for this one. And as you might know, I also do another podcast called The Labours of Hercule, which is all about the greatest television show in the world, Agatha Christie's Poirot. My wonderful co-host, Adam Roach of the Secret History of Hollywood podcast and so many other wonderful ones, are going to be doing our very first ever in-person live event for our podcast. There we'll be discussing Poirot, podcasting, murder mysteries and so much more. If you'd like to come along to any of these events or you want to check out the full programme of events, have a Google of the Farnham Literary Festival or I'll stick the links for my events in the show notes of this episode. If you fancy coming along, it would be so lovely to see you there. Please come and say hello, and also please, please smile at me from the crowd, because I will be very nervous. That's enough of me for now. Let's get on with the episode. Enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. everyone and welcome to a new episode of the Red and Buried podcast. I'm Frankie and today I am so delighted to be joined by the wonderful, effervescent, ready for her funeral, Tina Baker, everyone. Gothic vibes oh, from Crouching. I am so... This is the first time, Tina, that anybody's actually dressed for their funeral for this podcast. So oh, I'm... Come on. It's an ideal, you know, dry run. Let's hope it's a dry run at a rehearsal. That would, be, that would get eclipsed, wouldn't it? If somebody literally died live. Yeah. That's your ultimate goal, isn't it? You know, they're doing all of this and then... I'll keep doing... That. Even better, home invasion stamped. Wow. I mean, fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I don't want you to die yet. Not until I say so. But oh, I'm, yeah. I, I will share a screen grab of Tina's outfit because it looks incredible. Yes. She's got her hair necklace, Viper necklace on. She's just yes. an icon as ever. Oh, Tina, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me. I'm so excited to get into this. Before we do, I've got a little bio about you. And so I'll read that out and then we can get into the good stuff, which is all about your amazing new book. So here we go. (laughs) The daughter of a fairground traveller and window cleaner, Tina Tina Baker worked as a journalist and broadcaster for 30 years and is probably best known as a television critic for the BBC and GMTV and for winning Celebrity Fit Club. 
because you are still very fit. So that makes sense. Her debut novel, Call Me Mummy, was the number one Kindle bestseller. <laughs> this was followed by Nasty Little Cuts in 2022 and Make Me Clean in 2023. The full catalogue there on display. Her latest book, What We Do in the Storm, is out in February and has been described as a dark and luscious thriller. Everyone brings their secrets to the island. On the beautiful and windswept island of Tresco, two worlds live side by side. The wealthy visitors come by helicopter to stay at their lavish timeshare properties. The estate staff travel by boat and work all hours to keep them happy, to keep the money flowing in. But while the blue skies and savage waves make the island seem a wild paradise, under the surface the inhabitants are concealing more than they dare reveal. The truths about their marriages, their love affairs and what they do in the darkness while their neighbours are sleeping. As black clouds come rolling in and a storm hits the island, truths and rumours begin to tumble out, wreaking terrible damage. In the midst of the tempest, two women are attacked and one goes missing. The secrets of this fragile community can no longer be hidden if, if hopes to survive. Sorry, I read that again. The secrets of this fragile community can no longer be hidden if it hopes to survive. The islanders must finally reveal what they did in the storm, no matter the cost. Outside of writing, Tina lives in London with her lovely husband, Jeff, and too many cats. As well as being a talented writer, she is also kind-hearted, wickedly funny, and has an incredible array of costumes that she's known for wearing to launch events and on social media. Oh, aren't you? And that is the eulogy I would like you to read out oh, at my actual funeral. I'd be honoured, Tina, truly. I think that's fine. It's, 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 it, when you hear somebody read a bio, there's still a disconnect for me. It's like, oh, who are they talking about? <laughs> it's almost like, it's not exactly shyness, but it's, it's sort of slightly uncomfortable. Do, do you know what I mean? I can, I can imagine, but... Imposter syndrome slash, I don't know, it's, I don't like to think I'm quite repressed British. I think there's a bit of me that is. The thing, I, when I first met you, Tina, I've, I've been lucky enough to meet you in person a few times now. I met you at the lovely Liv Matthews book launch. And I remember being so surprised by how incredibly shy you actually were about your writing and about your, your amazing oh, catalogue of work. Like you're incredibly humble considering everything you've achieved. I, I, nobody believes I'm shy. I, I know you got it. Uh, so when I met you, it's like I understand with any woman who wears the amount of makeup that me and Frankie wear, <laughs> we understand yes. it's, it's costume. Mm -hmm. And I am, you know, I'm a drag queen. I was bequeathed a drag queen name. I'm either Tina Sparkle or Trixie LaBouche. Oh, and I really get that world. Before RuPaul, I was obsessed with drag queen. And it helps me. I think they call me like an extroverted introvert. We've been, uh, sorry, invaded by one of the cats. Hi, Pip. It's my kitten. Aww. Pip is like in a little pen at night because we can't let her out Aww. yet. Because she was, we've only... Had her a couple of months and she was four weeks old and on death's door oh. for about a month. But yes, she's healing, bless her. Yeah. So yes, we are, are occasionally invaded by one of the 
It's lovely. But no, so as I was saying, you're so right as well about having the putting on the war paint, getting ready to go out there and face the world, particularly in the world of publishing, which can be quite serious and scary at points, I think. Oh, it's it's a class thing for me as well. And obviously the way I say class, we know what side I'm down on. All my books have got like some element of class warfare in them. I still feel incredibly shy. And it's not that I'm not educated. It's nothing to do with an intellectual shyness. It's to do with, until I went to university, I didn't go into a bookshop because we didn't have one. I went to the local library. So the first time ever with what we did in the storm, I've got a book launch because my first one called me mummy came out in the pandemic. So I just stayed at home. I've had to shield because I've got quite bad asthma. Even though I'm fit, I'm as fit as I can be. But I've got an underlying condition. Mm. What's an ancient? Even though I act like a 13-year-old, you know, I forget, genuinely forget how old I am. And it's a shock when you get the letter from the NHS saying, please don't cause us problems, stay indoors. And it it completely messed up my mind Mm. because I got almost agoraphobic. It's only last year I, I started, last year was the first time I'd ever been to a book launch. And it was one of my friends from Viper. And I can remember being terrified. Mm. So it's taken a long time to sort of think, right, I'm going to stand in the bookshop and hopefully sell some books and celebrate the fact that I've got a book out. And this is my fourth book published. Wow. It's taken that amount of time, for that disconnect to sort of, you know, my opinion of myself to sort of think, well, I've been doing this now for six years. If not now, when? Mm. But it took it took about ten years before I acknowledged I was a good personal trainer, keep fit instructor. It took <laughs> decades before I thought I'm all right as a journalist. I don't know what it is. I, it just takes a long time for me to embody what I'm doing. If that makes sense. Well, I'm glad that you're embodying it now because you're an incredibly talented writer, and it, you know you deserve to have all the parties to celebrate your work. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're feeling more comfortable with it now at this point because you deserve it. And I love it. It's like you know, it's a passion I've had since I was a little kid. You know, my working class credentials of like living in a caravan, my mum had a hellish time learning to read and write because once she travelled on the fair, Mm -hmm. the only time she went to school for any length of time was in a convent. And she was abused by the nuns (sighs) because she was left-handed. So she was beaten. They tied her hands helpfully behind her back. Now, my husband's (laughs) left-handed. He claims it's a sign of genius. (laughs) As indeed, my brother's left-handed as well, and they've never bothered about it. It's you, that's the way your body works. Mm. I know enough about bodies being a personal trainer. You work with what your body wants to do. It affects the way you think. We all think and feel and embody things differently. And I don't know, can you imagine not being able to write with your dominant hand? I had a comic yet tragic pole dancing injury with oh. a pole dancing pole fell on my head and smashed my shoulder. Of course, it was my dominant side. And for 18 months, I was in and out of slings and operations and stuff. And trying to write with your left hand, it looked like a five-year-old. Luckily, I could still tie Mm. with one finger. So it didn't affect what affected it a bit. But, you know, I could still write. But if I'd about to write longhand, 
one, it took 10 times longer, and two, I couldn't read it back. So, yeah, anyway, uh, writing's always been hugely important to me because of that. And because I've always loved reading, I'm a, you know, an avid, avid reader, you know, voracious. Uh, I can't get enough. Oh, and I read when I was doing my little writing of your bio earlier that you, even though you were a journalist for a number of years, you actually did an MA in, in writing before starting your books. Is that correct? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, because it's a different discipline. Like, so I, did, I was a cub reporter on a local newspaper in Northampton, then got a job researching for the BBC as the first non-Oxbridge person. So that was a bit educating reader as I turned up my first day in red leather miniskirt and I look like I do and I sound like I do. And then got headhunted for TVAM, you know, when it went down market with Roland Rat, me and Roland Rat. <laughs> so it's, it was a weird sort of way into journalism. And I always wrote, I wrote for, I think, 17, 18 years for the TV Times and my specialism, a bit, no, not really a specialism, but I wrote about what was on telly. So I've done decades of watching the soaps, which I think informs my writing because I love soap operas. No time to watch them now. And also I don't want other fictional people colonizing my mm. brain because I'm at the age when there's enough going on in there anyway. <laughs> I deal with a level of anxiety anyway. And there's enough fictional people having their storylines. And sometimes I've forgotten what I've written, <laughs> which is mad. So since writing what we did in the storm, my actual current thing that's out, mm. that, that's the new book, I have written another one wow. and edited another one. And I'm in those worlds. And I'm also getting my ideas for the next ones. I've got another edit of another one to do. And it's wow. like, that's just too many plates to keep spinning. That's a lot of plates. Um, so, yeah, I don't watch that many soaps anymore. I will watch drama. Mm. You know, during lockdown, like everybody, I completed Netflix. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like I wouldn't watch ongoing stuff because there's, a, there's an emotional investment and I haven't got that in me at the minute. Well, it's because you've got a lot going on, to say the least. Absolutely. And But now we're going to draw you back to the Silly Isles, the Isles of Silly, where mm. the book is based, which I, is you have a personal love affair with the Silly Isles. Is that fair yeah. to say? Literally. <laughs> um, so of all the bars in all the world, um, I walked into the one on Tresco, not the Isle at Tesco, the Isle of Tresco. <laughs> All my friends assumed I'd met my husband in Tesco's. Uh, but it was, I went on holiday with friends and they liked him because he was chatty. And they says, oh, we found somebody for you. That's what they actually said. We had a snog under the mistletoe that Christmas holiday and we kept in touch. And we started speaking on the phone. And we wrote to each other and oh. sent very long emails. And then in the June, the following year from the Christmas, I got on a helicopter like Joan Bloody Collins <laughs> in an arrival scene on the island. And after I'd slept with him, we had our first date. Oh, that's the correct order. I love that. That's amazing. That's the correct order. Completely. And literally, we've been together ever since. And it was a long distance relationship for a couple of years. I went whenever I could. 
he came and stayed with me, you know, for a month in November when they have the off season and the builders sort of do stuff. But he was so busy. There is one one pub on the island and he was a barman. And it gets mental. Mm. So in May, they have the World Pig Racing Championships, which is like a unique rowing championships. And he rode in it. And that's got thousands of people. And you've got this tiny little island, like a couple of miles by a couple of miles. No traffic, no cars, just golf buggies and tractors. Wow. And it's invaded. And the same with August. It's invaded by the timesharers who are including my friends, quite posh because it's expensive. Mm. It takes a, a lot of money to get there because it's off the coast of Cornwall. And day trippers from St. Mary's who come over to see the Abbey Gardens, it is, I'm not exaggerating, like the British equivalent of the Caribbean, crystal clear waters. Mm. It's in a Gulf stream, so there are actually palm trees. However, it is bloody freezing now. I'm not going to apply. I've been in the sea on New Year's Day and nearly had a heart attack. Whoa. It's, it's beautiful. It's unspoiled. It's a 1950s vibe that people do not lock their doors. So coming from the Midlands and then living in London for 30 odd years, it blew my mind. Mm. I've never been anywhere like it. And the irony is Lorraine Kelly's books out on the same day as mine. And she's got this love affair with Orkney and I've got the love affair with Tresco because that's where I met my husband. You know, obviously he's my husband. And we had our wedding blessing on the island. And so it's, you know, it's my dark Valentine, I think, to the island. It's like, it's the most beautiful place on earth. Let's fuck it up. (laughs) Let's let's write dark things. Although there's this... Humour in all my books because humour keeps me going. You know, gallows humour as a journalist Mm. is something that's in every newsroom. So there is a lot of humour, and I sort of described it as if David Lynch directed an episode of Doc Martin. Brilliant. And, you know, it's that's not an exaggeration. There's loads of warmth and humour on Mm. the island. I loved it. If I could think of a way to live there, and right, I would, but you can't. You can only live on the island while you're working on the island. No one owns property on the island apart from Prince Charles's friends who wow. run it as a business. So you can't live there. And that's interesting in itself. And that's one of the characters' yeah. storyline. But at some point, you're going to be kicked off. And that, I'm always on the side of the workers, put it like that. You know, I see it from both sides. I've I've worked behind a bar, like the soaps, a lot of the action takes place in a fictional bar. It's a fictionalized Tresco, although there's loads of reality, you know, the Abbey Gardens, you know, the, the topography is there. But obviously, I write fiction. It's not a non-fiction book. So there's loads of stuff I've exaggerated. None of the characters bear any relation to anybody there because otherwise that would be wrong. Mm. You know, you've got to do your flights of fancy. There are a couple of stories that have been taken from reality. (laughs) All I'm saying is the Naked Synchronized Cycling Club. 
that's all I can say on that. Wow. Okay. I know. I know. Well, if that's not an advert for tourism for Tresco, I don't know what is. (laughs) Wow. So... I'm so interested in everything you've just said, but with the characters, seeing as you you called out that they're not like people that you know, but a question I always like to ask people that come on is, if you had to be a character from your book, and it's especially interesting now I've read the book and I know what happens with so much drama with all of these characters in their own ways. If you had to be one of the characters, who would you be and why? Now, if I was sensible, I'd say one of the ones that stay alive. Ideally. But that would be a spoiler. <laughs> so edit that out a bit. Mm-hmm. But what I'm about to say may not mean that. You have to I read it to find out. And it would be really nice to say, oh, one of the posh money characters is just mm-hmm. comedy there. I can't do it. And I've really thought about your questions because they're questions nobody's asked me. Oh, good. Uh, and then I thought... I'd be the bar person, not the bar worker, but I'd be the landlady because that's something I've never done. My husband has come to London and run bars for 30 years. So it's not an idealized job. It's Mm. knackering. Mm. It's a young person's job. And I fancy the fictionalized version of it where you're a bit Peggy Mitchell. Yes. You know, you're a bit Bet Lynch and you're in charge of people and you get to see all the gossip and it's the hub of the community. And that's the bit I've not had in my life. I've never felt like the hub of a community and that's what I miss. As a writer, um, mm. even as a journalist, you're going into people's communities, but then you, you're not really part of it. And I haven't got, well, I've not got parents anymore. I've got one brother and one niece. I've not got a big extended family and I've always liked the idea of somewhere like that, a real community. And it's very close-knit mm. in reality and in the book as well because it's such a tiny place and it's such a bath to get off of it. But I also, that's the character, I also, because of that, didn't want to do one of those, you know more than me because I don't do classic crime. Is it called a closed room? Oh, a locked room locked mystery, room. yeah. Yeah, it's not that because no. I've read books where it is that on an island and that's got nothing to do with it. It's just a beautiful setting, but it's not that. I don't write the traditional crime because, confession, please do not stone me. <laughs> I have never read Agatha Christie. <gasps> please do not. I would never stone and you. I've not, I've not been brought up in that tradition I've read more crime since I accidentally fell into it than I ever did. I read cross-genre. You know, I love a bit of sci-fi. I love a bit of horror. I'm really snobby. I'll read two or three of the Booker Prize winners or shortlist. My two favorite ones in the last few months, Prophet Song, mm. Jesus, and Beasting, one of my favorite, favorite books of, you know, living memory, wow. both on the Booker list. So I read broad and I'll also read, you know, cozy crime. I love Janice Hallett, my fellow biker mate. She's (laughs) clever. And it's not cozy crime that is saccharine. No. She deals with dark subjects very, very cleverly. So, yeah, I read anything. I've also read a lot of nonfiction when I'm like studying biology and anatomy for my advanced PICFIT courses. So, 
Yeah. I will read a cereal packet if there's nothing else to read. Wow. I am desperate to read. You, very, very broad interest there. And I, I always ask, what was the last book that you read and loved? Was it the Booker Prize books or has there been anything else since? Yes. What if I just finished? I've just finished something, which I can't actually remember what I've just finished. Oh, a really weird one called Myrrh. And I can't remember the name of the author because I've literally just finished oh, it okay. last night. That was the, and that was a horror, Ooh. sort of Rosemary's Baby style horror. But yeah, the 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 last one I read for myself, if you know what mm. I mean, were those two. Happened to be both Irish, Paul Murray and Paul somebody else, Irish writers. And like as a huge fan of Roddy Doyle and Mario Keys, you know, and Seamus Heaney, that's yeah. my range. You know, I love the Irish writing. Yeah, um, I had to do a top ten barmaids in fiction. Well, wow. recently, you know, somebody had asked me to do that, and my my basis was Ulysses. There are barmaids in that, and I remember wow. I'd had to read that at university. Now that's as high intellectual I got, <laughs> and it irritated me so much because it was all about form, and you couldn't get to the characters because it's all these stylistic devices. And I felt like such a failure. And literally last week when I wrote this top 10 barmaids, even Ezra Pound had difficulty with Ulysses. So <laughs> quite frankly, I didn't feel so thick. Um, I definitely don't think you're alone there. Ulysses is, I, I couldn't even, hard, yeah, hard even hard to say if I'm honest. But uh, wow. <laughs> so I'm really curious as well. How did you say you accidentally stumbled into crime writing? Yes. How, 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 what drew you to the crime? Was it just the darkness of the story you wanted to tell that led you to crime or how did it get well, here? Well, it started with a crime, really, not one I did myself. <laughs> so um, my first novel is the one I'm, yes. I'm I just re-edited, which was set in a circus. And that was the thing I wanted to write because my great grand was a trapeze artist. Wow. But it's not like the magical circuses you know, like the night circus, it's mm. nothing to do with that. It's, it's the grim reality. And that's what I was writing on my MA, but my MA did one of those tasks, which is go somewhere you've never been. And, you know, a lot of my friends went to gay clubs and, you know, stuff like that. And I went to mother care because basically I never needed to go into mother care. And it was very painful for me to do that because I tried to have the baby and hadn't and the IVF hadn't worked. And I had a bit of a meltdown in mother care, as I guessed I would. And the idea came to me in the middle of aerobic sobbing, what if you stole a child from mother care? And that's how it started. And by the time Call Me Mummy came out, mother care had gone under, I had gone into liquidation. So she ends up stealing the child from Peacocks which is round the corner from where I set it. And there is a baby closed bit. And it was at Christmas because Christmas, I think, is a hideous season if you've not got kids. And so that was a one-off, like, just write something based on somewhere you've never been before. It was like an exercise. And it wouldn't leave me alone. Mm. And it was this phrase that kept coming into my mind, I'm not a monster of a woman which is me, desperate enough that you'd want to steal, mm. steal a child, which is also me, but I've not given in. You can search my house. <laughs> I've not. But well done. That, that just, you know, 
hero. Credit where credit's but, you due. Know, yeah. <laughs> also, then what would it be like to be the woman whose child was stolen? So very near to us of McCann's, Madeleine mm. McCann's parents in Leicestershire. And I've always been, I just thought the press crucified that family. Yes. And no one should throw stones when you're at your absolute worst. You know, they didn't do anything evil. They did something that a lot of parents did. They took the eye off the ball, you know, for a, a couple of hours. And the worst thing happened. But what if they had been chavy working class cleaners? Mm. They would have been even more vilified, I thought. And that that's called me mummy. Yes. It's a very long one. No, it's a great me. answer. And but then it's you got a taste for crime writing after that. Yeah, because uh, before that one came out, I was balls deep in the second one, which was taxalized by at my gym. You know, the women I train personal training have to do careers because they've got to have the money to mm. pay for me and all the family care and Christmas again. And it's just too much. And it was a fight, you know, uh, Nasty Little Cuts is a personal trainer, me, uh, somebody who's strong. So a fight to the death between the husband and wife, again, just before Christmas when everything's like that pressure puppy coming to mm. that explosion. And that's the time in one of my hats as a journalist, I edited Dr. Miriam Stoppard's problem page for many years. And I also presented a satellite television show about, you know, Agony Hour, it was called. So I've interviewed a lot of people who've gone through domestic violence and it's always worse at Christmas. <sighs> and I didn't want the woman to be the victim. I wanted her to be as strong physically as him. And I wanted him to have a bad back. So it's it's not what you think. And it's not so much the fight to the death. It's all the backstory of how you get there. Because I know I've been in physical fights. I've punched people and I've been punched. And I know what that's like. And I've also done it in the gym scenario, you know, when you do fighting. <laughs> I had a personal trainer, God bless him, Kieran, who tormented me. He was a mate. Personal trainers are always my mate. <laughs> And I told him to stop and he wouldn't stop. And I went feral and it was like fighting my brother and I bit him. <gasps> Any of us, I think, in the right circumstances, when somebody's sitting on you, hitting you, I will bite. Yep. No, I think that's fair enough. <laughs> got to use what you've got at your disposal. Got to protect yourself. I get it. I get it. I'm, I was a biter as a child, so I understand. I was. Yeah. Oh, I was. Yeah. I bit a dinner lady at school once. And God bless you. I knew I loved you. <laughs> and when I was at nursery, this is another biting story, I bit a boy in my class. They shoved a bar of soap in my mouth and told me to bite on no. that. Can you imagine if they did that today? I'd be rich. I'd have sued for millions. And No. Yeah. Well, me and my brother fought most days of our lives until our teens and he once kicked me onto my chin and I bit him. <gasps> I bit him back so hard he had to have his arm in a sling for two weeks. Oh my God. How does yes. that work? I just hung on and hung on and hung on. Wow. Um, anyway, I love my brother. He's a year and four days younger. <laughs> and we were just two children under four in a caravan, no, no fridge, no washing machine, and a a two-ring baby belling cooker. That was it. How she survived, my poor mum, I do not know. Anyway, wow. I love my brother now. 
he has left the country. It's nothing to do with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's best for everyone. Best good for your teeth. Good for him. Everyone's best for the teeth. Yeah, keep keep them keep them in your mouth. Keep them nice and clean of blood. Wow. And so I'm really curious as well. You said you were talking earlier about community and not you know having that kind of central kind of community for you. But the crime writing community is a really oh what, Jesus yeah it saved my life. Now that sounds like I'm being a diva no. or aggrandizing. In lockdown, I was so stressed and anxious. I had to have hypnotherapy to get out the house. I could make myself, once I came out of shielding and I've had all the injections, I could make myself go to the gym and work. I didn't do anything social for nearly three years. The first thing I did was get on a train and for six hours up to Scotland, it was like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. I had a mask on, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Get on stage at Bloody Scotland, read a little extract from my book, Dressed as a bee. Of course. There was a reason for that, that, that it was called The Killer Bees. Uh, Chris Brookmeyer, Michael Billingham and me. I had two minutes to make an impact. Go as an inflatable bee. And then get back on the train for six hours. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And I don't know, looking back, how I managed to do that. I could make myself do work things. Mm. But I had, apart from that, no social life. And social media saved me. We never hear that side no. of social media. It's all flagged off. It's, you know, I knew you through social media before I knew you in real, yes. true life. And that's most people in the book community. Yeah. And actually, I, I'm still a bit surprised by how lovely people have been. Mm. And like I did my first Harrogate this last year, mainly because they invited me. And my thing is, I don't like to go to parties. I'm not invited to. <laughs> So, and it's also the money thing, mm. to be honest. It's expensive. It's so expensive mm. if you're not invited. And if somebody like the publisher or the event organiser is not at least giving you something towards mm. a train fare and the hotel. And also this last year, my husband came with me and he loves it as well. Yeah. Again, from knowing people being nice to me on social media. I mean, I'm not saying it's perfect because I did... Nasty little cuts, a little launch online where I dressed in a wedding dress because it's about relationships. And I did Agadu because in that book, the wedding dance is Agadu because yes. she's a big instructor. It's one of the, the songs I do in my, used to do in my Zumba classes. Brilliant. And I did that in my own living room and we were hacked. And it was awful because another no. blogger, Stu Cummings, little girls were dancing in the, you know, dancing around the living room. And there were these incels who were screaming the C word at me. I'm from, I'm from Colville. I can take that. Not but kids. not in front of children. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think in swears, but I'm really good at usually editing it. And I never swear in front of kids. Mm -hmm. and, that, and they were holding up. Porn and they were shouting what? racist and with this and and we had to abandon it it oh. was really upsetting so that's the dark side that's you know yeah. i think i had all my trolls on one night and who knows why they hacked it i asked my friend dan malakin because that's his job you know stopping mm. malware and, and stuff like that he says do you know no one knows mm. it's random absolutely it's random it's not personal 
I thought it was because of the themes I tackle mm. in Nasty Little Pots because it is about sexual politics. It's a class warfare and a male-female warfare. And I thought, oh, well, the incels are just doing it. Do you know, I just don't think they've got anything better to do on a Saturday night. No. Just bad luck. I don't think they read that well, to be honest, to have picked up on those yeah, themes. Yeah, that's, what, the other, that's yeah. what various people said, but not Reggie Book. No, no, just bad luck. Oh, Well, you definitely deserve a wonderful launch party for the new book. And, and the crime writer community, as you say, they love you. And, you know, it's so lovely to have you at events. I've been to a couple with you now. And you're just pure joy to have there because you do bring... <laughs> You bring the fun and you bring the humour to it. And that's what we need. I don't drink. I'm a really cheap Me neither. Date. That's why we get on. It really helps me as well because that was how I dealt with anxiety for decades. And I was the good time had by all. But there'd always be a point where I'd go maudlin or aggressive or I'd end up being sick under a table. And that's the bit I'd let go and I realised all the nice stuff of it. I still get nervous, but as you can tell now, I gabble. I can talk for Britain. So I'll just gabble to people. And I've not been, I've not had many bad experiences. And so it's, it's easier, isn't it? People are nice to you. Mm. I do worry, I'll be honest, I worry because I dress like this, I sound like this. I'm a bit over the top in my TikTok. Love them. And most people think, oh, she's like my little pony. And then they open one of my books and it's like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> what is she saying? This is outrageous. So I sort of go there. You, you know what I mean? It's like I'm not cosy. There are trigger warnings. And I joke that in real life I'm a walking trigger warning because I will discuss anything. Mm. I'm very, very open. And it's sort of quite liberating. That's age. And both my mum and dad dying, which sounds awful, but there's a liberation with that where it's like, I'm not going to upset anybody by talking about yeah. this, that or the other, you know, and anything you ask me, I'll talk about. I talk about abuse firsthand, you know, uh, experience, talk about domestic violence firsthand experience, you know. So it's I've, I've either interviewed somebody around that era, uh, sort of area mm. And I'm also from that era where nobody talked about that at all. No. I never had the words. I never went to a teacher. I couldn't confide in anybody. So some some getting it out there, again, people talking about mental health on social media. I I, I felt really shy the first time I posted anything about I'm really depressed, I'm really anxious, I'm on antidepressants. Currently, I'm not, and that's no better or worse than when I was. But when I first said it, it was like I felt it was a failing to, to ad admit. That's yeah. what it felt like. I'm admitting I'm really down. You know, of course I'd be really down. You know, yeah. I tried to have a kid. I didn't have a kid. We've been through a pandemic. You know, if you don't feel deeply, yeah. good luck on you, but... It gets me, goes right in. Yeah. So talking about it all, literally there is nothing I will not talk about. Well, it makes you, such, I think it's also what makes you such a wonderful writer, Tina, because you're so open in yourself, but you also put it into your work. And the more these themes are talked about and written about in accessible ways, yeah. like through your books, it's going to help people. It has to. 
And I use the vernacular. I have edited out some swears, so I have to say what we did in the storm is the least sweary of my books. And actually, there was a lot more swears in Call Me Mommy because the character was that character. Right. Partly me, but also the estate I write about. I taught on that estate. Twice I've climbed over please tape to get to the community center where I taught Zumba. I know those people. You use the vernacular mm. like Irving Welsh. It's almost like a, a verbal tick and it's affectionate as well as, but people read it in a different way. And I got so many complaints. They weren't seeing what I was trying to do. And now I will only do that when it's necessary because I think seeing the words hits you in the face more than mm. saying the words. Well, I, th I was reading Goodreads earlier, which is always a bit of a risky business, but I some of the comments on your new book on there were saying how much they love that you write authentically in your character voices, especially in this. You really you write as people really speak and that's what makes it authentic for well, them. Yeah, I, I, there is still a little bit of me like, I love Dickens, God bless him, God rest his soul. But like in hard times, it really is a little bit like, cool, blimey, Mary Poppins. <laughs> yes. Um, because let's be honest, it's only very, very recently, um, D.H. Lawrence being the first person who didn't die in a garret if they were poor, but from my background who wrote, mm. I'm not comparing. I'm not comparing myself with him, and it's the same with Douglas Stewart, who I adore. Yeah, and I was an early adopter before the book or anything. I was following on Twitter, and I, I, one of the greatest nights of my life was me and Douglas Stewart tweeting each other, watching Eurovision. <laughs> he was in some foreign country, and I was on the sofa because I love him and I recognise that world. I'm from Colville, a defunct pit town where the pit stop. And everybody drank away, not everybody, loads of people I know drank away their compo. Yeah. And, you know, it's a tough place to be. He grew up hating Thatcher because, you know, again, that sort of the devastation of the community. They're all shipped yeah. out into these new flats. I get him. And, the, you know, he's, he writes in dialect like Irving Welsh. And, and he was, he had so many rejections and they were saying, it will probably win the booker, but we, we don't know what to do with it. He won the bloody booker because he stuck by his guns. Yeah. And he's a working class man. I, I, I love him. When I say that, it's not a lovey speak. I love him and I appreciate what he's done for people like me. And the more people like that who are proving you can be literary, as well as every other, you know how snobby the world is, mm. like the literary lockdown yes. on the crime and some of the crime lockdown on the romance, I'll be, you know, mm. and then some of the fantasy lockdown on horror or horror look, you know, we're all the same. We're all doing the best books that we can. And there's no hierarchy. It doesn't matter if you don't like my books. There's another book coming along from some other writer that you will love. As long as people are reading, it's, it changed my world. It broadened my horizons when really no dishonor in being a cleaner. But I didn't want to be a cleaner. No. Like my mum and my dad. I just didn't want to. You know, I had an education. I was the first of my whole lot to have an education. I value that so much. 
Oh, Tina, I could listen to you talk forever. You're the best. It's truly. I'm a gabbler. I'm so not sorry. Not a gabbler. You're everything. I'm you're not meant to edit. Not at which all. Which is why I always assume things alive because I don't even pause for breath. This is why I've asked. But this. My brain works at a million miles an hour. No, that you're a dream to edit because I won't have to do anything. You're just speaking perfectly. It's fantastic. But I am curious about your writing process and how it's evolved over the last four. Now it sounds like you've got. Four five, six books in the works. And yes. what do you like most and least about it after all these books? The loneliness is the hardest thing because I've never gone back to social life because I teach in the evenings. My husband until very recently was working in the bar in the evenings. And then I did the MA in the mm. evenings. And then that was my writing time. So in between that... I sort of lost contact, I think, with, you know, going out and having the knees up. Because I no longer drink, I don't tend to frequent bars or, mm. you, you know, I don't tend to do that. And because I teach people fit for a living, I don't go out dancing that much. So that, it's the isolation and the imposter syndrome and all the dark demons of this is shit, this is shit, this is shit. It's like a mantra that every word I type is like an anti-affirmation to affirm I am doing this, I love doing this, and I am good enough. I'm never going to get to the Oprah Winfrey stage where <laughs> I love myself. We're just now being invaded by another one. Hello, other cat. Another cat. This is Bertie. Bertie. Hi. Bertie, the emotional support kitten. <sighs> who had two life-saving operations before we managed to insure him. And I had to sell my car and I can't afford, not had a holiday for six years and I can't afford a car. But hey, I live in London, Mr. Two. So I love him so much and he has only in the last year beefed up because he had a hip replacement operation and we had this awful tummy. <laughs> um, it's the small intestine sort of get tangled. And he had a life-saving operation. Wow. At a point during lockdown where I couldn't speak to my own doctor, but I had daily calls with the vet. <laughs> so there you go. For anyone who is listening who doesn't follow Tina on social media, get on Instagram and follow Tina because you get all the cat updates and you get to see how she's basically saving <laughs> cats' lives. She saved Pip's life, basically. So if you're a cat person, like, you've got to I'm like the lords for cats, me. You are. <laughs> um, yeah. And Tina Baker books on everything now. Really? Do you do that on Blue Sky? Who knows? I love yeah. it. It's the same, same low-level concepts on everything. Same on TikTok. Same on Twitter X. Same on Insta. Same on, what's the other one? Threads. Threads, the new one, but yeah. Thank you for anybody who follows me. Because I do chat. You I do. I do chat back and I love the people. So I went to the book party last year, mm. which is a thing that they organise for the bloggers. Bloody hell, I thought I knew everybody in that room. It was like, oh, I know. And also, you can't see because I've got bad eyes. You know on Twitter, <laughs> yes. your pictures, the size of, you know, a micro <laughs> and then you know people came up to me and their pictures the picture of their dog who's one of the the bloggers her picture was a picture of a dog for many years <laughs> i was not supposed to recognize her that's true when she came up to me she came up to me at bloody scotland 
And I screamed so loudly that I think most people have got tinnitus <laughs> because I was so excited to meet somebody in real life who I felt I'd got a relationship with. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I, I'm too old to have done Tinder and Grinder. I would have done both hmm. if I'd have been of the age. But that's when you meet people now. Yeah. I don't think there's any dishonor in, in trying to have a relationship online. No. Me and Jack did that in a long distance relationship. Or I believe all relationships are inside your mind. Even when you live with them, most of the time you're in your mind. Even when you're asleep and you're thinking, I'm going to put a pillow over his face because he's <laughs> snoring. And he's brought a pack of biscuits to bed and ate them. And I'm sitting in the crumbs. Ah. Well, Lonely I've managed to marry somebody as immature as me and we get on particularly well. And he is my biggest cheerleader. Yeah. And he loves social media. Thank you, social media. You know, mm. I don't know what I feel about Elon. You know, I think yeah. the jury's out. You know, the tax he's paid, it was something like he's paid billions his in tax. He probably could have paid billions more. All of that's gone towards something, hasn't oh, it? That's true. Whatever you think of him. He kept me alive, and I don't think that's an exaggeration given the the state of my depression yeah. where for two years, I'm not exaggerating, Frankie, I was physically sick every morning <sighs> because I was that scared. And then somehow I'd get myself together and teach class. As soon as I taught the class, that nerves is used in keep fit. Yeah. And it's getting harder the older I get to do that. But the more, even if it's a walk around the block, Obviously, I couldn't do that then, but just doing star jumps in the living room, low impact if, if you need to, helps that anxiety. I still do it. I'm to be found in Lou's doing the, the TED Talk power pose. I call it the hallelujah pose, where you do a Y shape with your arms and your fingers to the top corners. You take deep breaths and it opens in yoga. We call it the heart chakra. Just helps you breathe and people born blind will do that when they win something it's a celebration pose and it's a power pose and it does help wow deal with anxiety this is great it's very hard if you're not watching pictures yeah no fair <laughs> what I've just been, I'm now i'm wrangling my bosom so sad I, for you on the I, i'm sad for people who can't who i'm sad that it's a, not a video podcast because people are missing out on this, these visual delights that i'm getting so lucky me yeah, i just had to wrangle my bosoms back into yes. place because i've just done a demonstration of a physical move well look it up with the ted talk on power poses yes definitely and also just to say about your lovely husband jeff who i've met at, at harrogate and other events with you and it's just so lovely to have you both uh, yeah, no, you guys yes, favourites. And he has been shamed. He was dyslexic as a kid. <sighs> he was shamed. He was chucked into the thick old class. He was he was vilified in a local bookshop which went under because he asked for sci-fi. When he first moved to London, she looked at him like he What? She slapped him something. I was so shocked. I spent thousands in that bookshop. Anyway, that no longer exists. We've now got a lovely Waterstones who are the, the nicest, most supportive. It's on my road, Frankie. Talk about sign. I was doing my MA in novel writing and a sign went up, a literal sign saying Waterstones on my wow. road. Crouch Hill in London. The Crouch End uh, Waterstones have had my books in. They put it in the window. They've let me dress in the wedding dress and Jeff dragged me around the shop. 
they have that they've been the best thing in the world and it's just like again I feel guilty to saying that because it's not an independent but the independent ones won't stop my book the Waterstones booksellers are an amazing community though and it's the individuals within that business that make it what it is so Lauren at at Crouch End Books has been amazing Mm. and then Bert's books I actually did a pilgrimage to Bert's Books. Amazing. I had no idea what was going Again, somebody I met online and I turned up there and he got such a big pile of my books. I burst into tears. I burst into and I loved him and I sort of knew I would because he does the blackboards outside of the shop yes. and all was funny and all was literary. Um, so if you want an independent mm. and he's based in Swindon, I'd never been to Swindon. I just got on a train and went to Swindon. I just thought, I just want to go into that bookshop. I just felt called. It was a pilgrimage. Yeah. And I bloody, that was one of the best mornings of my life. I loved it. <sighs> Amazing. And they're great on social media to follow as well. Absolutely. Tina, I've had such a wonderful time chatting to you. It's such a shame that I now have to confront you with a terrible thing that you've done, Tina. Tina Baker. Well, you tell me, Tina Baker, because you have committed a crime so terrible, so shocking and heinous in nature that unfortunately you have been sentenced to death. Was it the not reading Agatha Christie? Yes. <laughs> yes, it was. That apparently oh. in this country is a death row worthy offence. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yep. I'm, you know, and normally I feel bad for that. But now actually, now that I know your crime, I kind of think that's fair enough. Um, sorry, Tina. However, I do not agree with capital punishment for no. a decade. I wrote letters on behalf of Amnesty International. No, I... But I even, no matter what they've done... I couldn't pull the lever no. or inject them, therefore. And also there's there's some that have obviously have mitigating circumstances and been innocent. Yes. But even if I knew they were guilty, I could not do that in cold blood. No. I, I for the record, I don't support capital punishment either. It's just a device for me to ask you what your death row meal would be. <laughs> but these questions are both, my death row <laughs> meal would be Jason Momoa. <laughs> <laughs> Cannibalism or no nibbling? Oh, fair nibbling enough. Fair enough. No, I can't eat when I'm anxious at all. Right. But I will go back on the mojitos for that one day. Fair. Because then nothing, you know, give me an injection. But yeah, a mojito and Jason Momoa. I thought you might Thank want you. a mimosa. <laughs> Jason Mimosa. <laughs> I see what you did there. Thank because you. When literally, indeed, <laughs> exactly. This is the kind of conversations they have at Cambridge and Oxford, I believe, in those rooms. Yes. All right. Okay. So Jason Momo is there. You've got your drink in hand, nibbling, nibbling away. <laughs> but fortunately, I'm afraid the time has come and you have been yeah. put to death. I'm so sorry, but. It's not the end. It's not all bad, Tina, because I will, I personally will bury you with the book of your choice. What book will you be buried with? So, because we will still have cats to support, mm-hmm. I will have my own books on the outside of the coffin because you can't miss an opportunity to promote. <laughs> I love that. Yes. Perfect. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I'm being cremated. This is not Fahrenheit. What's it? You can't be buried with a book if you're being cremated. Then I thought, oh, 
is it something I can read? It, so am yeah. I in an afterlife? Can I read it? So I, I, this sounds awful. At university, I used to call it Bastard Dorrit. <laughs> it's one of the biggest books James wrote. And I, uh, it's a little Dorrit. It's all yeah. about, you know, the legal system. But something bigger meeting like that. Because I can't pick a favourite book. I just want a long book that got lots of characters in, lots of storylines and subplots that's got humour, it's got tragedy, it's got everything. And Dickens wrote the original soaps, so it's, got, it's a yeah. page turner as well. Because over the years, you know, I've reread loads and loads. You couldn't really be buried with a little lie, even though I bloody love that book because it goes there. And it goes there some more. Yes. And it's well written. And it's got to be well written. So, yeah, Little Dorrit, not Bastard Dorrit, as I did um, (laughs) uh, for many years at university, Little Dorrit by Dickens, which is an unusual choice, but simply on pages and quality. I That's the first time we've had that one, but that's a great choice. And you know what I'm going to do as well? I'm going to line your coffin with your own books as well. So if someone digs you up... Oh, on the outside, you fool. On the outside so the punters can see Smart. It. Jeff will be at a signing desk at the, at the church. <laughs> I love it. Okay, what we'll do is as well, we'll have one of those clear burial sites so they can see through Ooh. like in snow well, white mummy's, mummy's like me well i don't know i, I don't know what the uh, capital uh, punishment kind of budgets are these days i'll look into it a hologram i think a hologram would be great like you know i think that'd be good like you know hey joe nice from blade runner perfect hey, and we can have a qr code on the front so people can buy your books yes this is great. And with my own old sick tones. Exactly. <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> Tina, thank you so, so much for chatting to me. It's a joy as ever to see you. And I'm so excited for your book to be out because everyone's going to absolutely love it. And I'm excited. You know, I'm excited for every book. And I'm also terrified, is the honest uh, because it's like, you know, they're not baby babies, but they are, you know, your heart and soul's in them. So I'm hoping it does well. And people so far are liking it. Very much. So that's good. Absolutely. It's, it'll make you laugh, it'll make you cry, it'll punch you in the gut. All the good things books should do. Absolutely. Everyone has to go buy a copy. Of course, everyone has to go and buy a copy right now. And will you come back in the future and talk to me about any new books that you do? I will. Come on, even if I've not got a book. Just, <laughs> just have a chat. Just, just come on and have a chat. Amazing. I'd love to. I'd love to, frankly. Thank you, Tina. Honestly, such a joy to see you as ever. So thank you. And thank you for listening, everyone. I'll be back soon with another episode. But until then, Tina, I am so bad at ending this podcast. How shall we wrap this up? Don't let the bastards grind you down. And that's a quote from Margaret Atwood book. Perfection. How would you like to challenge your little grey cells while revelling in the vintage perfection of David Suchet's Poirot? If so, then the Labours of Hercule podcast was made for you. We're taking a deep dive into every episode of this masterpiece of television and giving you the clues you need to solve the case along with Poirot himself. We present the case and you solve it. Whether you're a detective in the making... Or if you just simply want to gush over the genius and art decodence of Agatha Christie... Then subscribe now to the Labours of Hercule wherever you get your podcasts.